Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Hello and welcome everybody to another broadcast on Hour of the Truth. Today we have Wednesday, the 25th of November 2015. A little unusual if you keep the agenda on Hour of the Truth because normally we meet on Thursday. Uh, okay, also we normally would have met last week. Uh, we met last week, but that led to a kind of, um, let's say, a misunderstanding that led to that we had to do a new hour of the truth. And this hour of the truth is still on talk show, but it is not anymore hosted by Walt Stickle. It is hosted by Keith Kampschäfer from the website Uncontrolled Opposition, who you probably remember because he was on the last few broadcasts on Hour of the Truth anyway. He will give you a little bit more explanation on the role that he plays and why this is all about. I don't want to go too deep into that because that's something between our brothers and we have to work that out. Important thing for you, our uh, our listeners here, is that uh, you know that Hour of the Truth is going to continue the work. And before I start with uh, continue the reading on the book, uh, An Understandable History of the Bible by Samuel C. Gipp, which uh, we have been started reading already some weeks ago on Hour of the Truth, I just want to mention something else. I received a, uh, a notification uh, email video on YouTube from a German channel that I've been talking about in the past. You maybe remember him, but his name is Conredi. He lives in Berlin and he makes German videos about German history, about the history of the so-called German Federal Republic or whatever you want to call this joke over there after Second World War that is going on there right now. And he made a video where he showed a letter from, uh, from the ministry of the, uh, that deals with the asylum seekers, the so-called refugees in Germany, and uh, he showed a letter where it is shown how much money these refugees, when they come to Germany, are being paid. And it is stated that this money will be paid every month, that they only have to check in every three months at the end of each quarter, so the end of March, June, September, and December, to confirm that they still have the same status. In the meantime, this money is being paid to every member of the family the same amount. That amount is 1,000 euros, 1,004 euros and 50 cents. When you convert that into US dollars, Federal Reserve notes, I know it's, it's all fiat money, I know, but the point being is also for this fiat money we have to <laughs> buckle and work. Uh, it's about $1,200. So when you 
consider that there is a man coming with his wife and three children, he gets 5,000 euros a month, not doing anything. When you are an unemployed person in Germany and you have been unemployed for more than a year, you get 450 euros. And you get a little bit help with your rent, but you get 450 euros for everything. And um, these refugees get more than double each person. And I think that is just confirming what I said all along with this refugee situation that's going on, that this will sooner or later lead to unrest, probably even some kind of civil war, if possible, if they want to push it that hard. You know, the, the Germans have um, a very good patience. And you can push them very, very hard before they react. But when they react, they know no boundaries. They know no boundaries to their reaction anymore. That's a disadvantage but that has been shown in the past to be the case. And that is the very, very dangerous situation. So if this letter that Conrevi showed in his video is legitimate, and if, this, if these sums are legitimate, like he also said that they are planning in Germany already that you have to work until you're 70, which is already now, 70-year-old, before you get your retirement, and they want to push that up to even 77 because they need that because these bills have to be paid. I think there will be very, there will be coming very troublous times over there in Germany. And I think this is something to keep an eye on, on the one hand. On the other hand, I also tell you that I do not worry too much about it because it is all written in the Bible that these things will happen. I mean, these details, it has not been written in these details in the Bible, of course, but the outlining is, is the same. The whole world will wander after the beast. And what does the beast do? The beast betrays people, you know, because the beast hates people, because the beast is the seat of Satan, and Satan hates people. God loves people, and Satan hates people. Satan does everything in 180 degrees turn around what God does. When God loves us, Satan hates us. When God saves us, Satan condemns us and brings us to hell. An everlasting tournament. Or, uh, torment. I mean, okay, the Bible is not, the, 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 the hell is not uh, everlasting torment. That's another broadcast we can go about. But you get the gist, you know. God says one thing, and Satan says, says everything the other way around. And for the moment, he has his rule here. And it seems that a lot of people have forgotten their roots and their history and where they come from. And then they, of course, look to every possible solution they see over there. So when you have a situation forced on the Germans like this right now, it reminds me a little bit like the situation we had at the end of the 1920s and begin of the 1930s with the big economic crisis we had there. You remember that, probably 1929, the big boss crash and 
millions and millions of people unemployed and starving to death in your own country. And we have in Germany already a long time a very high number of unemployed people who just get by. And when they go back to work, they only get minimum wage, which is a joke, 5 euros, 7 euros, 7 euros and a half, 8 euros something per hour. That's too, that's too little to live from, too much to die for, you know. So when it will be, it is confirmed that this paper that Konrebi showed in his video, that these refugees get 1,004 euros 50 cents each month per person, I think that is meant to stir unrest within the German population. And I don't even know how the other countries handle that because, you know, I don't inform myself via newspapers or whatever of all these uh, of all these things. But Belgium also has its refugees. France has its refugees, and France, of course, was in the newspapers the last time because of these attacks in Paris. We invite all these Islamic people, all these Muslims, into Europe. On the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, we are quote unquote afraid of. Uh, their ISIL or ISIS terror attacks. Where's where's the sense in that? Then don't invite the people all in. I don't get it. And maybe there are some more people who should think about it and maybe don't get it either and then start asking the right questions. And I hope that then also the right questions will lead to the right solution that I found in my Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, this broadcast, Hour of the Truth, on Wednesday is done because tomorrow I have an appointment with a client on Thursday, so I couldn't on Thursday. And um, Keith was so uh, uh, was uh, able to set up a call on TalkShoe, what we called Hour of the Truth, to continue the job that I started with uh, Michael Adams on Nothing But the Truth, and then after that followed, continued with Walt Stickle on Hour of the Truth on his TalkShoe, and. Uh, well, now for the moment, I seem to be continuing that with Keith on his talk show now. And so I want to introduce to you Keith Kamschafer, my good friend over there from the United States of America. He will tell you where he comes from and uh, how we met each other and how we set all this call up, I think. And um, okay, I, I, the only thing that I for sure know about Keith is that he has some German roots because his last name Kamschafer must be German. Can't, can't, can't be anything else. He's got to be a crowd. So. Keith, welcome to the broadcast. Tell the, little, uh, tell the people a little bit about you, and then we will go on with the reading of the book, okay? Right. Well, thank, thank you, Jörg, and I'm looking forward to the, the broadcast this, uh, today. And, uh, of course, uh, I think you're going to return to the reading of the, uh, the book, The Understandable History of the Bible. Uh, but maybe before we do that, I could share just a little bit about myself and... Uh, you know, and why uh, you and I are, are together uh, in, the, in this, uh, this broadcast or this ministry that I hope is going to be a continuation uh, for you in what I, what I feel like is the, uh, is the good work that you're doing for the Lord. And, um, but I think this all goes back to uh, 
the uh, fellowship that we had here uh, a year or so ago. And, uh, of course, uh, there was Walt and um, yourself, uh, Tom Fress and myself, and then uh, Michael Adams and a few other uh, people, that uh, a few other brothers that were, were with us. And um, I think one thing that's really important uh, that I'd like to emphasize is that it seems that this hour is that there's a small army of uh, of truth uh, seekers and truth tellers that are are trying to wake the world up or wake uh, wake the people up to the deceptions that are going on in the world. And one of the largest deceptions in the world uh, today is the the falling away Protestant Church that has bought the lies of uh, the Jesuitic uh, Jesuitical uh, dispensational futurism. And um, and I think that uh, you, yourself, you know, I've been, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been listening to you and your commentaries and your readings and uh, your excellent readings and the, the content that you've uh, been sharing, as well as your insightful comments and analysis of, of the material that you share. And I see that as a reflection of, of, what, um, of what Tom Fress uh, has been doing for a number of years, and uh, so I encourage the listeners uh, to continue to listen uh, to to York here yourself, and uh, and hopefully I'll be able to contribute to, in whatever small way I'm, I'm able uh, to add, uh, you know, some back and forth and some additional commentary and, and insights that maybe the Lord would share with me. But uh, you know, one thing that you would say. Or one thing that you said, you were talking about this this immigration, and and how much they're paying these immigrants uh, to, when they come into these various uh, countries, and I think that it's probably going on the same uh, or similar uh, level uh, in these other countries as it's been going on there in Germany. Now, there's a document on the internet right now, and I'm just going to read this uh, a short definition. They'll actually explain uh, what's going on there about that immigration. And this, the, the name of this document is um, it's Coercive Engineered Migration. And it talk, it's talking about the manufacturing of what's going on and where populations are being distributed around the world to basically break down those governments and to bring in this one world government. So, um, but anyway, reading from this paragraph, it says coercive engineered migration or co- or coerce or, or excuse me, or co- coercion driven migrations are, quote, those cross-border population movements that are deliberately created or manipulated in order to induce political, military, and or economic concessions from a target state or states. The instruments employed to affect this kind of coercion are a myriad are myriad and diverse. They run the gamut from compulsory to permissive, from the employment of hostile threats and the use of military force as were used during the nineteen sixty seven to nineteen seventy Biafran and the 1992-1995 Bosnian civil wars through the offer of positive inducements and provision 
of financial incentives as were offered to North Vietnamese by the United States in 1954-1955 following the first Indochina War to the straightforward opening of normally sealed borders as was done by President Eric Honecker of East Germany in the early uh, coercive engineered migration, oh, in, uh, excuse me, in the early 1980s. Okay, so there's a page break there that kind of confused me a little bit. But anyway, this, this article is speaking to just exactly what you were talking about there and how much they're paying these immigrants uh, as an enticement to come in. And this is all part of the global war against humanity. Uh, and um, so I think that's very important uh, that we, you know, we touch on that and, and what we're going to uh, continue to touch on is, as far as the reading that you're going to have today. But uh, so anyway, that's just a little bit about myself, and I'm, I'm just glad to be here and be a part of, uh, of your ministry, Jörg. Well, I'm glad that I can continue because you provide this talk show call, and we'll see where it leads us to. <clears throat> you just mentioned Erich Honecker in, uh, in your reading over there, and I'm aware of that because in the end 70s and beginning of the 1980s of last uh, millennium, last century, <laughs> um, Erich Honecker uh, led a lot of Chinese and other Asian people into uh, Eastern Germany at that time because, you know, Germany was split between 1961, uh, even before, after the Second World War. 1961, they built the wall. And 1989, with the so-called fall of, uh, of communism, which, of course, was planned uh, when you know rulers of evil and you know of the Time magazine 1992 edition Holy Alliance, uh, something that I've been talking about extensively, not only on on rulers of evil, but also an hour of the truth. Um, and so this Erich Honecker, who was the president of uh, the, uh, the, the German Democratic Republic, as it called itself, GDR or DDR in German, uh, took a lot of Asian people into the country and uh, they used them as cheap labor and everything. And of course, they probably knew, <laughs> no, probably, they knew <laughs> that within a few years the wall would fall down and then they could flood these people also into, uh, into West Germany, you know. And uh, they were established already at that time in Germany and then they were asking their families to come after them. So... I think um, that's, this, uh, that's the kind of pattern that, that you see in those things that they do. And, uh, well, the, the Islamic invasion today is, of course, not, not, not the same thing like uh, the Chinese people that have been imported into the GDR at that time. But the agenda is there anyway well, nowadays to stir up to stir up unrest within uh, within the european union and uh, within different countries of the european union especially when you know how much problems we already have quote unquote financially with countries like greek italy spain portugal ireland belgium france those are all countries that are on the verge of bankruptcy they should have been bankrupt already a long time. They're only held up with this fiat money 
no? That's right. That's right. By the computer system, basically, mm-hmm. the banking computer system. They just simply move. Uh, they just simply move digits around from uh, from one country to another, or from one uh, industry or or uh, market to another, just to keep. Uh, it's bar- borrowing borrowing from Peter to pay Paul until exactly. they exactly. Yeah. It's always a we call that a left pocket right pocket transaction, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> the that's money the goes from the left pocket it. into your right pocket, but stays in the pocket, you know. It's always in this. It's always in the same trouser, you know. <laughs> so it doesn't. It doesn't. It's always in the same pants, so it doesn't change that, you know. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You have the same. Uh, yeah, we have the same, of course, worldwide. But uh, we know that Europe is in big trouble financially in that point of view, and we know also that the United States of America is in big trouble financially. I mean, how many trillions doesn't the Amer- United States of America already owe? I mean, when you really count everything, everything, I think it is hundreds of trillions. It is an amount you cannot even imagine. It is an amount that is absolutely unpayable. But, of course, the Antichrist will insist of being paid back. And he will get his assets out of that country. And he will get everything he wants from it. That's right. It's always been his agenda, and it will stay his agenda. He claims to be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and the world is his footstool, and uh, everything is his. And um, he acts according to it. And most of the people do not see that because they don't keep up with the Bible. They don't care for the Bible. And then they are just confused. And that's, um, that's a little bit of a comment that I made on the German video from Conradi. I said, well, as long as you don't understand the biblical agenda that is behind all this, and if you don't see that Merkel and all these other so-called uh, political leaders swear their allegiance only to the Pope, as long as you don't see that, you run around like chicken without your head, blaming everyone and everything that you want to, that you can just point to, or that the media tells you to. And uh, you will never find the solution because you just don't want to face the truth. Martin Luther warned of these things 500 years ago, and uh, at that time the Germans were a folk that wanted to listen. If we had a Martin Luther today, his words would fall in deaf ears, I'm afraid, for a big part. On the other hand, there's a light on the end of the tunnel I had yesterday, a three-hour fellowship via Skype with, uh, uh, with a German woman who contacted me on Skype, who wanted to have a contact after my, you know, that I did upload these uh, German videos on reading Alexander Hislop's The Two Babylons in German from, from, from Babylon nach Rome. And uh, she sent me a contact request because she followed these videos and said, well, you suggested that if I want to talk to you, I can send you a contact request. And I said, yeah, that's true. And I agreed on that. And we had a fellowship yesterday night for three hours. And it was very, very interesting. And it was, it was nice to have someone to talk for the first time in German about these subjects, about the Bible. We spoke about Daniel 9.27. We spoke about Revelation 13. We spoke about so many things. I can't even remember right now anymore. But it was a three-hour call that we did, and it was really, uh, I enjoyed it very, very much. And I want to thank her. 
uh, here at this broadcast right now for the fellowship we had yesterday, and I hope that we will continue to do have fellowship another time maybe. I really enjoyed it. So uh, thanks again. I'm not going to mention her name because that's inappropriate. Anyway, so I'm prepared to start uh, the reading of the book and uh, understandable history of the Bible. Is there maybe some point that you want to go into first, Keith, before I start reading here? Well, not really. I guess I would just say that, uh, just like you, what you were saying, the same thing as far as the immigration and the, the breakdown of the nations is going on uh, around the world. And, of course, the United States is, is uh, you know, we're, we're receiving a lot of the uh, immigrants from Central and South America. And, um, and maybe the last point that I would make and, and kind of let you kind of put the exclamation point on this is, uh, you know, what, uh, what are the Central and South American provinces uh, essentially known for or, uh, in, you know, what religion and what have you is, you know, uh, not, to, you know not to make it uh, any type of uh, discriminatory or biased point. But who's behind all of this? And, uh, and maybe we could just conclude with that, and then and then move right on into the reading. Yeah, who's behind all of that mass integration that you have uh, of mass migration that you have over there? United States of America comes most and for all from Mexico, and from the Latin American states like Bolivia, Argentina, and probably Brazil. All these poor people that come up there, and it is not called Latin America for uh, for for. Uh, by coincidence, it is called Latin America because it is uh, absolutely 100% Roman Catholic. Right. So while in the United States of America, the United States of America is flooded with Catholics to further the agenda of uh, diminishing and annihilating the last Protestants over there in the United States of America, we have the agenda of flooding Europe with Muslims who are just, uh, you know, Islam, Islam is, is uh, Islam is Catholicism for Arabs. Yeah. Right, right. It's uh, a, the Vatican, a radicalized. The Vatican, <laughs> yeah, the Vatican invented uh, Islam. And uh, you can study that when you go into uh, Alberto Rivera and what he revealed when he was let by Cardinal Beer in the 1960s, uh, at the time of Vatican Council II, into the archives of the Vatican. And he was trained to infiltrate congregations and uh, by that turning them around. And therefore, he needed to, to, to do a lot of study in the Vatican, Vatican archives. And he saw the documents all linking the Vatican to the foundation of uh, Islam. So, you in the United States of America are flooded with Catholics, and we are flooded with the second best thing the Catholics have, meaning Islamists, Muslims, who follow a religion that was founded by the Vatican that is a lot alike the um, belief system of the Vatican. They all hail Mary, they love apparitions. Uh, they have the Black Madonna and all that stuff. I mean, I don't want to go into that because that's a whole other broadcast. We could do, we could talk hours and hours for that. 
mentioning videos and documents and all that stuff that you can find on the internet that um, uh, that confirms that what we are talking here is uh, is absolutely true. And when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, you will understand that a lot of the worship uh, Muslims do is exactly the same as the Roman Catholic Church stuff. So the point being, yeah, you in America over there are flooded with Catholics and we are flooded over here with the next best thing. Um, here in Europe, they want to get rid of the intelligent European people and what they didn't achieve by indoctrination and fluoridation of the water and vaccination of the children, they will get by putting in people of inferior intelligence over here and crossbreeding with the European races and by that getting rid of all the European races as they were. And when you get rid of all the races and all the nations and you get rid of all the culture and the heritage they had, and then you are on the way to the one world order, which is the goal from the beginning. To all make one, to have a second Tower of Babel, to restore the old world order is the new world order. And the old world order was when the Pope reigned over the kings of the earth at that time. He does that too now also, but not over all kings. Maybe very close to all, but not over all yet, I think. And uh, even though um, maybe he does it, he does not do that out in the open. And until he comes out of the open, he will push his agenda further the way that he did uh, like this now. So we'll see what the future brings about that. So you will be over there, be flooded by more Catholics, and we will be flooded here by more Muslims. You know. Right, and it's only just a matter of time before things really reach the, uh, the powder keg moment. And, of course, that's going to be in conjunction with the financial situation, the global financial situation. And, um, and they'll pull the cork on this thing. And, and um, of course, the show's actually already begun, even with the recent... Uh, bombing there in Paris but uh, but that's all like you say that's all uh, topics and things like that that we <laughs> will have to discuss uh, in a dedicated broadcast or maybe yeah. poss- or bring them in you know at appropriate times as, uh, you just sorry you just bring up the bombing in Paris a few days ago uh, the 13th of November so 12 days ago right and I just uploaded a video where we had a talk on the 16th of November and that video is called uh, Paris, Sleeping with the Enemy? Question mark. And why is it called that? Because in that conversation that you and I had, I read something about from the, uh, from the collection that I have from the Science of the Times that was dealing with um, uh, the terror attacks that happened at Utoya Island on, uh, in Norway a few years ago by Anders Breivik because, as the author then claims, Norway was sleeping with the enemy. And uh, now I uploaded this video with Paris, sleeping with the enemy, and we recorded our conversation on the 16th of November. And I said at a certain moment in that broadcast, you can look it up for yourself, 
Well, now they did that over there in Paris, but I don't care because it's all a game. So maybe tomorrow they do something in Brussels or they do something in Amsterdam or they do something in Berlin. <laughs> right. I said Brussels. And we have now today, Wednesday, the 25th of November, and Brussels have been lo on, on, on a lockdown for the last three days. The whole damn city was closed. Schools closed, the city was closed, you couldn't get in there with your car and anything <laughs> because of so-called terror threats. I mean, was I being prophetic or what? <laughs> was saying on the 16th something about Brussels. <laughs> Come on. Right. Uh, well, uh, you know, it, it, we're going to expect these things, you know. And, yeah. uh, you, can't, uh, you can't hardly be wrong nowadays, you know, because it's... Uh, that's part of their plan. That's part of their agenda is to continue to propagate these false flags and psyops around the world. And it's all a distraction for the bigger deception that is, that is going on. And, uh, so yeah, but, but, but yeah, that was, uh, that was ironic that, uh, that you, you made that statement and they're, you know, just within, uh, within a breath of a few days, uh, they've, basically locked up the city, so quite incredible. Yeah, I think so too. Anyway, I'm going to start reading finally again on the understandable history of the Bible by Samuel C. Gipp. Uh, it's already been more than a fortnight that I started reading that book, so I will go back to the beginning of the chapter called The Hundred Year War. And Keith, please, when there's anything that you want to comment on, then just Say, comment and interrupt me, and then we can uh, discuss anything that is discussable in this book. Sure, okay? sure. Yeah, go, go right ahead. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read from the Hundred Year War in the book, An Understandable History of the Bible. For approximately 100 years now, a battle has been raging over the question, quote, where is the word of God, unquote. Surely we Christians cannot expect a Christ-rejecting world to accept our book as its authority. We can, of course, expect rebellion. We can expect the world to make attempts to discredit the Bible's reliability. The battle of the lost theologians against the Bible has been waged since the Garden of Eden. But the war that I am referring to is not the war between the lost world and born-again Christians. For the last 100 years, the same kind of war has been raging within Christian ranks. Up until the late 1800s, there was, generally speaking, only one Bible, the authorized version. There had been others, but the translation instituted by King James I in 1603 AD and published in 1611 AD had become known not just in England, but throughout the entire world as the authorized version. It is a historical fact that the King James Bible had become known as the authorized version due to its universal acceptance among Christians of the world and not due to a proclamation from King James himself. Hiltz states, quote, Although it is often called to be quote-unquote authorized version, it actually was never authorized by any official action on the part of the church or state. On the contrary, its universal reception by the common people of all denominations seems clearly to be another instance of the providence of God working through the God-guided usage 
of the church. Unquote. Ruckman points out, quote, as anyone knows, the AV 1611 had no royal backing, no royal promotion, promoting, no act of parliament behind it, and the university press was allowed to print any other version of the Bible along with it. Unquote. McClure states concerning the King James Bible, quote, its origin and history so strongly commanded it that it speedily came into general use as the standard version by the common consent of the English people and required no act of parliament nor royal proclamation to establish its authority. Unquote. As well, the footnote from the above reference in McClure's book reads as follows. Says Dr. Lee, principal of the University of Edinburgh, quote, I do not find that there was any canon, proclamation, or act of parliament to enforce the use of it, meaning the King James Bible. The present version, says Dr. Simmons, as quoted in Anderson's annuals, quote, appears to have made its way without the interposition of any authority whatsoever, for it is not easy to discover any traces of a proclamation, canon, or statute published to enforce the use of it, unquote. It has been lately ascertained that neither the king's private purse nor the public exchequer contributed a farthing toward the expense to the translation or publication of the work. Unquote. Then, in the mid to late 1800s, a theory was initiated by two scholars of the names Brooke Foss Westcott and Fenton John Anthony Hort. This is the theory that the traditional text was a quote-unquote conflate text, produced by editors and not merely by scribes. Their theory has remained over the years, as Darwin's theory of evolution has remained, just a theory. Now, I'm going to repeat the sentence that you will really please understand it. There theory has remained over the years as Darwin's theory of evolution has remained just a theory. Darwin's theory of evolution is just a theory. It is taught today as a religion in the public school system and it is being taught as if it was a proven fact but it is just a theory. It needs people's open minds to question those things and to make the point that still it is just a theory. Now, on the other hand, you can say creation is also just a theory. Okay. Everything is to you a theory if you were not there to witness it by yourself, right? But, and that's a very important but, when examined without any prejudice, there is zero proof for evolution, but there is a lot of proof to be found for the creation story of the Bible. If only our so-called scientists for once would please do the job they are paid for 
The problem is they are paid by the wrong side. So they are actually doing what they are paid for, but that is not working for the truth. That is working for the Antichrist who puts the Darwinian theory of evolution in the school books and into the heads of the people. If all these scientists would have a conscience as we have a conscience built on the 1611 authorized version of the King James Bible, the world would be a much better place to live in. And people would even enjoy going to school. It comes back to this one quote that Martin Luther said some time ago. And I don't know if I can find this right now because, you know, always when I go into my quotes, I have to scroll a little bit in this, um, in this little uh, document where I, where I keep all that. But um, I'm just going to try and see if I can find that very fast. Uh, and we'll see uh, what it says. Yeah, I got the quote. See, it's quite fast. Luther said this already in 19, uh, 19, <laughs> 1920, no, no, 1520. In an open letter to the Christian nobility, to the German nation concerning the reform of the Christian state, Martin Luther said, quote, Though our children live in the midst of a Christian world, they faint and perish in misery because they lack the gospel in which we should be training and exercising them all the time. I advise no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. Schools will become wide open gates of hell if they do not diligently engrave the holy scriptures on young hearts. Every institution where men are not increasingly occupied with the word of God must become corrupt. End quote. So, this was just a little rant about what I think of Darwin's theory of evolution. Maybe Keith has something to add here, otherwise I will continue reading. Well, I was going to say that uh, if you have, uh, do you have a source of where that uh, quote came from? I was going to try to look that up on the internet. And, uh, that quote from Martin Luther. Uh, yeah, quote that, right. Yeah, the problem is that I read through the whole document and I didn't find it. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I well, find... I'll see if, I'll, yeah, I'll see if I can find that quote on the internet and then I'll paste a link uh, with that in the in the chat room here. Yeah, you know, I, uh, there's there's no trouble finding uh, finding that quote on the internet. There is trouble finding that quote in the work that Martin Luther did. This, uh, like I read to you. Uh, the open letter to the Christian nobility of the German nation concerning the reform of the Christian estate. I did, on Hour of the Truth, I think two or three broadcasts, uh, reading that open letter to the Christian nobility, and uh, I didn't stumble about, uh, about that, uh, that quote. So this quote is actually from uh, Rulers of Evil, uh, where you can find it, and he says that it comes from this document. The problem is, of course, that these documents can be changed in the meantime, you know. I would not say that they were, that they were maybe not always in there, but the problem is that they maybe have been taken out and they 
and they are not to be found anymore. It is the same problem that you have when you, when you want to do a research on the 17th session of the Council of Trent between 1545 and 1563, where the Archbishop of Reggio held his speech and told the Protestant reformers that because they worship on Sunday, for which there's only the Roman Catholic Church as authority to base it on, and not the biblical Sabbath, they do not follow sola scriptura as they claim, and therefore they are only rebels. When you look this up uh, on the internet, you can find that, that this is written in the book of, I, I think the guy is called Holtzmann or whatever. Uh, I looked that up. I looked that book up. I found that book, and it was said that on the page of 263 of that book, you could read that quote, you could read about that 17th session on the Council of Trent. Guess what? You could read page 262 and 264. 263, nope, wasn't available that page. So maybe you have to get that book for yourself. Online, you cannot find it. You cannot find that statement anymore. So it's only in other quotes that you can find it, but the original quote is not to be found anymore. And of course, we know that the internet, as everything in media and everything, is controlled by the Antichrist and his minions. So I would not wonder if really they took all these things down so that you cannot verify that these quotes really are in these works. And I don't have neither the money nor the patience to buy all the original works of Martin Luther at the time and to check if he really wrote that. I have to rely on researchers like uh, Tupper Saucy when he puts a quote like this in Rulers of Evil that he actually found it there. There's another quote that Rules of Evil author Tapasauci put in the book that he said that he looked up for himself on, uh, in, the, uh, in the Encyclopedia Judaica that in the Encyclopedia Judaica the Rothschilds were mentioned as being the guardians of the Vatican treasure. Well, I looked that up for myself and he is right. And I can give you the link. You can find that even in the online edition of the Encyclopedia Judaica that the Rothschilds are the guardians of the Vatican treasure. So there are some quotes that I checked from Rulers of Evil that turned out to be true. And then there's this one from Martin Luther, which I couldn't confirm to be true because I just couldn't find the original, um, the original quote. And that doesn't mean that the original quote wasn't there. That is just that I haven't been able to found it. On, on Maybe because it has been changed in the meantime. It has been taken away in the meantime. I don't know. I don't care. But it would be something interesting to, for Martin Luther to say. On the other hand, I am not so sure if it surely had to be in this writing of 1520 an appeal to the ruling class because... I tell you why, because, because that was before the founding of the Jesuits. And the Jesuits, in a later time, invented Medici learning. And from Medici learning, from learning to learning. And what Martin Luther says here has actually to do with that. But even in the very first years, they didn't go into Medici learning and instated the learning against learning already in the 1550s. I don't think it was that early. We have to look that up on another place. So it would even make sense if Martin Luther even said that later. But in the appeal to the ruling classes, I could not find that quote. I admit that. 
So maybe it's made up. I don't know if it is made up. Does that take anything away of the seriousness of that quote? Does that take anything away of the righteousness of that quote? If Martin Luther didn't say it in 1520, Jörg Glissmann will say it in 2015. Because it's true. That's interesting. Yeah. That You know, here it is. I mean, they, they say that quote was in 1520 and not really, you know, to make an issue of uh, the, the numerals and what have you. But 1520 is, is the same numbers of uh, 2015. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What, what an irony, right? <laughs> what, what an irony. Is it, is it irony? Is it coincidence? Is it the hand of God? <laughs> oh, I think the letter. Right. I, I hear you. I agree. <laughs> okay. We have been now a little bit extensive about this one little sentence that I still repeat once more for our listeners. Their theory has remained over the years, talking about the theory of Hort and Westcott. As Darwin's theory of evolution has remained just a theory. It has never been proven and has in fact lost support over the years. Fuller confirms this when he records Martin's statement at, uh, that, quote, the trend of scholars in more recent years has been away from the original Westcott-Hort position, unquote. Their theory will be looked at in depth in a later chapter of this book. Now we come to the next little uh, paragraph called Revolution. You know, talking about the Hundred Year War, wars most of the time start with revolution. Huh? By 1870, England was ripe for Westcott's and Hort's radical ideas, and their Greek text was used by the Revision Committee of 1871 and by every revision and version ever since. The battle began. Which text is closest to the quote-unquote originals? And, of course, the ultimate questions, do we have a perfect Bible in English today? Unquote. Today, three-quarters of the way through the 20th century, Christianity, so remember he brought this book about in 1975-1980s, Christianity is still divided over the question, quote, do we have a perfect Bible in English today, unquote. This battle will probably continue for the remainder of this century and well on to the next, if the Lord tarries his coming, which until 2015 he does. Do we have a perfect Bible in English today? This is not an amazing question at all. In fact, it is quite a natural question that comes to every Christian at one time or another. Surely a naive babe in Christ would never approach an unbelieving scholar with this question and then lay the Bible in his hands so that they may do with it as he pleases. Surely he would not lay God's book at man's mercy. If he would, he should not be surprised when the scholars answer, flowing in terms not easily understood, comes back. No. Unbelieving scholarship is its own authority. It does not need any competition from a book. Unregenerate man goes about believing a theory that man has evolved and was not created. Yet, when this theory is examined, 
scientifically and logically. It cannot be proven to be true. Does this upset the unbeliever? No. He just sets about to believe his theory, for he knows that believing it allows him to be his own final authority. He also knows that to reject the theory of evolution means he must accept creationism as true. And this he has avowed in his heart not to do. He does not want to be associated with a few fanatics. Yeah, why there are only a few fanatics? Because the people who uphold the truth always, always wear, are, and will be the minority. Why is it that this type of reaction is found when dealing with Christian scholarship concerning the Bible? Ask a Christian scholar to tell you where the word of God is, and he will tell you, in the Bible. Yet, hand him any English Bible, and he will reply, it's not there. How can we as fundamental Bible believers tell people from our pulpits that the Bible is, quote, infallible, without error, the very words of God, unquote, and then step out of the pulpit and allege to be able to find a mistake in it? This would not seem serious. Uh, this would not seem so serious if, quote, unquote, the infallible word of God was not one of the doctrines that separates us from the world. We take pride in thundering forth that we are not as the unregenerate world without an absolute guideline. We have a guideline. We have the guideline, the Word of God. When we hold our open Bible up for all to see and shout, this is God's Word. It's perfect, infallible, inherent, the very words of God. Yet, in our hearts, we are saying, I believe all this about the original. This is just a mistake-filled translation. Most fundamentalists today vehemently reject the thought that God has preserved his words in English. We have, quote-unquote, the Bible, they say, but it isn't in any one English version. Most fundamentalists never truly realize the weight of their statements when they say that we have no perfect English Bible. Anyone who has studied even a little about Greek manuscripts knows that the Word of God isn't found in any of the Greek texts when translated literally. What has started this controversy? From whence has this division of the brethren come? Hey, Jörg. Yeah? Yeah, I was wondering if maybe you'd like to make a comment about uh, what you were talking about yesterday in reading the German translations uh, of the Bible and how you don't, you don't receive the same understanding from those versions as you do from the English uh, King James Version. And essentially what that paragraph there where you just said, that, that even the Greek, uh, when the Greek is translated uh, into, the, uh, into the scriptures, it, it doesn't contain essentially the same message. If, if, I'm, if I'm understanding that paragraph correctly. Mm -hmm. It is, when I was just reading this, I thought exactly the same thing. Because also when I was talking with that woman in German yesterday night, I went over Daniel 9, verse 27, and I told her 
I do not understand this in German. I do perfectly understand this in the King James Bible, the 1611, but I am even not in, this, in, in the possibility to translate it to you from English to German that you can understand it. It's just that when I read it in English, I understand it perfectly, word for word, absolutely, no question, no doubt whatsoever what this means. But I just cannot get the same understanding when I read the German version of that. And even when I try, I think I have to ask the Holy Spirit for that, to give me the possibility to put these words that are used in the German translation or that are used in the German version of the Bible, let's call it version, not translation, um, to put the words used there into words or in a kind of a sentence that we would use today in 2015 to make it understandable. I have to work on that. I read the Martin Luther Bible from 1545, which is surely uncorrupted. And every time when I checked the verses of the Martin Luther Bible of 1545 in the New Testament and compared to texts that, I, uh, that uh, had been in the 1611 King James Bible, it seemed to me that that was a quite absolutely correct translation. And I got the understanding also in German. But in the Old Testament, and surely in Daniel verses, yeah, I, I don't know all the verses between 24 and 27, but surely 27, I just don't get it in German. I just don't get it. The English Bible, to me, makes 100% sense. The German Bible just confuses me. I cannot even put the words in the right order to make an understanding of that. So that's quite strange, yeah. And um, I think that the woman also had a little bit of the same problem of not understanding it because some words were just strange, strange not to understand. But it's interesting, Keith, that you bring that up. And uh, it, it's um, it's an interesting point, of course, to, to mention here and while doing the reading of uh, of this Bible because, as the author said, uh, the word of God isn't found in any of the Greek texts when translated literally. Now, I'm not saying that the German Bible that I have there is a literal translation of Greek because Martin Luther did a great job, you know. If he did a stupid job and the Bible wasn't readable and understandable for Germans at that time, we wouldn't have had the action on the Reformation in the time that we had. So, right. Well, I mean, one one thing that I'll add to that is that it, it's not nece it's not necessarily that we're uh, trying to denigrate or um, discredit the translations in the native language of individual uh, countries and nations, but just to emphasize that uh, that just what this author is trying to say about the King James version, the authorized version, that there is there does seem to be. Uh, and um, a divine inspiration uh, to this version. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, so, yeah. I, I just want to say one thing to this. The Bible in all, in all the time that it existed in the world always has been there in one undefiled language. In the Old Testament, 
that was in Hebrew. And nobody questioned the righteousness of the papers, of the scrolls, of everything that was written down in the Bible. And everybody understood it, all that was written in Hebrew. And we came to the New Testament, and that was completely written in Greek. And only in Greek. And all the apostles who came out of the Judaic realm, who came out of the original realm of Jesus Christ in whatever, Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, whatever you want to call it there, where they came out, had no problem understanding the Greek because the Holy Spirit imputed them with the knowledge of tongues, as they say, that they all of a sudden had the possibility to completely understand a, a tongue they've never heard before. That was Greek. And so the whole New Testament was written in Greek and nobody had problems understanding that. So in the time that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, everybody understood it in Hebrew. The time the New Testament was written in Greek, everybody understood it in Greek. Now we have the combining of the Old and the New Testament in the English King James Bible of, 15, uh, of 1611. And shall I say it? Nobody has problems understanding that in English. Of course, nobody understands, not nobody, not, not everyone understands English today. We have still a lot of people who don't speak English. But in the realm of the Bible, Hebrew was the only language spoken and understood. In the Old Testament, the same for Greek in the New Testament. And now, in our time, I think we can certain to say that English is more or less the language of the world. It is not spoken everywhere. It is not understood everywhere. But if you are leaving your country, wherever you live, and you do not speak one word of English, you will have a hard time to go through to make yourself understandable. Of course, here in Europe, you can go to France, you can speak as much English as you want because the French are so chauvinistic, they only, pre, uh, they only talk French. They don't even go through... Um, uh, they don't even try to speak English because they are just so, so chauvinistic about that. And when you are in Italy, also you have here and there the problems. And when you go in Spain, you even have the problems when you, when you try to... Re, when, you, when you speak Spanish and you go to Catalonia... They won't answer you because you don't speak Catalonian, you speak Spanish, and they resent that, you know. But the point being is when you have a basic knowledge of English, overall, you can make yourself understandable in every corner of this world today. So by that, English is kind of a universal language. It's not the only language that's spoken. That's what's the difference between the time when we are talking about the Old Testament where the Bible was the ruling book uh, with Israel in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. That today we are having all these other languages also, but uh, English overall is the most accepted language worldwide. Even when you go into a Portuguese-speaking uh, country like Brazil, or a Spanish-speaking country like Mexico, here and there you will always find people that speak English and that understand it. So 
This is why English is kind of, quote unquote, a universal language. And the more you get into it and the more you study that language, the more you understand that language, the more you will also understand the Bible in there. And that's the case with me. It's kind of a strange case, you know. Maybe I'm, uh, I'm some kind of a nutcase. I don't know. I understand the written word in English without being able to translate it into my own mother tongue. I just understand it. I don't need to translate it. I understand the words that are there as if it was my mother tongue. Maybe I'm just a nutcase. I don't know. <clears throat> but that's the way that I experience reading English. But it was an interesting point from you, Keith, to, to, to bring that up, especially in the regard of uh, where the author says here um, that the King James Bible is the word of God and who refused to face the fact that the oldest and best manuscripts support the new translations. Uh, no, that was not the text. But anyone who has even studied a little bit of Greek uh, manuscripts knows that the word of God isn't found in any of the Greek texts when it turns into literary. So that was a good point of you to make there. But, uh, right, I thought I'd bring that up, yeah. Yeah, 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 good good idea. That's why I'm glad I have you here. <laughs> Anything else, or shall I continue reading the problem right now? Yeah, no, continue on. Okay, the problem, question mark, the problem. The first answer that comes to the mind of some Christians is that this division has been caused by a small group of fanatics who think that only the King James Bible is the Word of God and who refuse to face the facts that the oldest and best manuscripts support the new translations flooding Christianity. Strangely enough, history points to just the opposite being true. The text used by the authorized version has been used from the time of the early church until today by true Christians. It is supported not only by the vast majority of manuscripts existing today, but also by those of the highest quality and oldest reading. It has been used throughout history with the blessing of God among his born-again believers. The problem... It is only a recent occurrence that biblical Christianity has begun to use the inferior Roman Catholic manuscripts and asserted that they are better. This is the mistake garnered by the inerrant quote-unquote scholarship of Westcott and Hort. These people are the new young sect of Christianity who will not accept the oldest and best. Usually, Unexpectedly, they put their support to manuscripts which are decidedly Roman Catholic in doctrine and history. It is we who are sure we hold the true words of God brought down through the centuries by the blood of our martyred Christian brethren. Well, the point that the author makes here without saying it that clearly is very simple. The Bible was not originally written in Latin. But people try to put Latin manuscripts that they got out of Alexandria and out of Rome and put them into their Bible above the original manuscripts of Hebrew and Greek. And you have to decide that with your conscience yourself. Are you going to believe a Bible that is written in a language the Bible never knew? Or are you going back to the original manuscripts? Textus Receptus, which is Hebrew and Greek, and then translated directly into English. 
or are you going to trust anything that is written in Hebrew and then translate it to Latin and then retranslate it maybe to English? I think that's a little bit the point the author is going to make here. Continuing, ironically, those that take up the quote-unquote new versions with their quote-unquote better Greek text are voluntarily taking up the Bible with, uh, which their early Christian brethren refused to use, a refusal that brought the Roman Catholic Church, the historic enemy of the truth, crashing down on them. That same Roman Catholic Church is still active against the truth today. Only now many Christians are using her Bible. I know that these are strong statements. I intend throughout this work to prove their truth, but I state now that I do not intend to bring railing accusations on those brethren who do not agree with me. I will state that they are wrong, I will prove that they are wrong, and attempt to point out their position in regards to God's revealed word. I do not intend, however, and that goes for the author, and that also goes for me, I do not intend, however, to forget that they are my brethren, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal own Savior, and will treat them as beloved. It is not because someone else says, I read the NIV, but I accept Jesus as my brother and my Savior, that I should not have fellowship with him. If he gets his information out of the NIV and it leads him to the same truth, well, as long as it leads him to the same truth with Jesus Christ, who is the only truth, who is the only way, I can agree with that, can't I? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And to me, it shouldn't matter how I find Christ, as long as I find Christ. I don't find another way to get saved. That is what the devil tells you. That is what the Roman Catholic Church tells you. That's what New Age tells you. There are many ways to salvation. No, there's only one way, and the way is Jesus Christ. But on which way you find Jesus Christ, I think that doesn't matter. I mean, that's at least my opinion. How do you see that, Keith? Well, I was just looking up the scripture verse, uh, John sixteen thirteen, and um, I'll read that here. It's, uh, it says, How be it, when he the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you, the, uh, he will show you things to come. So it's the Holy Spirit that's going to lead us into truth. And, um, and just like you said, if someone else is using the uh, ESV card, uh, yeah, NIV or whatever. Yeah. yeah, NIV or ESV or some of these other versions, and uh, and they're in agreement with us, uh, or or or, with, or we're in agreement with each other. Then, uh, because we know that the Bible also says that Scripture is of no private interpretation, so that's I think that's a good test as to uh, each of us whether we are in the truth is having the having that agreement even when we're not not necessarily using the same version. But I still think that, that it, according to my studies and even by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the King James Version is superior to the other translations. But that, There's no doubt about that. 
That's no that. doubt about that. Right. But like you said, uh, because someone else is using a different version, this King James only, uh, what, whatever you want to call that, uh, you know, to to a degree, it, it can become uh, a problem, a, a divisive issue, and actually take take a person out of being led by the Spirit. Exactly. If you are being fanatical over this point, and you do not see that somebody else has found his own way to Jesus Christ, and you cannot accept that, then you are blind. Then you are spiritually blind. Exactly. That was just the point that I wanted to make, you know. I don't care what Bible the other person reads, as long as he gets the message out of it, that Jesus Christ is the Savior who died on the cross for our sins. And by accepting him, accepting, accepting him as my Savior, I know that I will inherit eternal life. If I come to this understanding via the King James Bible, okay for me. If another person comes to the understanding via another Bible, okay for him. Because the result is the same. The understanding is the same. And as long as we have the same understanding, well, there is no discussion, right? And sooner or later, when you have a person like that and you get into a discussion with him on the Bible, you have a chance to take your King James Bible and lay it against his, his NIV and study where the differences are and even open the eyes of the people. But you know, in the first place, it is already quite an achievement to get people to open the Bible anyway today. Any Bible. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunately. Uh, we are making a broadcast here about the King James Bible, or the King James only, where it is so difficult to get people to the Bible in the first place. I said that already in earlier broadcasts. I am so glad if any one of these so-called sleepers picks up any Bible and starts to read it. Because that is a sign that God touched him. Amen. He, Amen. He Amen. It doesn't maybe have the right Bible to begin with, but it's a start. It's a start. Well, let me, and let all me, Bibles let... more or less start with the same sentence. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Right, and uh, and let me just take uh, my children for example. That you know may not necessarily be where I would like for them to be in their relationship uh, with Christ, but. You know, if they were to call me up and say, oh, Dad, you know, I've been reading the Bible lately, and, uh, you know, I've come to this understanding about this and what have you, and have this enthusiasm, and then say, uh, and then I turn around and say, well, what, what version are you using? And they say, uh, the NIV, and I were to make a comment, well, you need to have the King James Version. Uh, see that, you see how that would, that would just completely destroy their, their enthusiasm. Absolutely. So. Uh, you know, so that's why the point that I think that you, both you and I are making here is that it's very important that we not use this uh, King James only uh, the uh, mentality or what have you or position uh, to be um, to actually be a detriment to the body of no, Christ. Not being not being dogmatic about it is the point I think you want to make. Correct. 
We don't have to be dogmatic about it. If we accept only the King James Bible for our authority, that is something that we have to come to an understanding with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ and our personal relationship with Jesus Christ with ourselves. We cannot impose that on other people. We can only point out the errors that they have in others. But first of all, congratulate them, like you said, of picking up a Bible anyway, starting to read it, starting to understand it, starting to believe it, and, you know, file on, on work on the work on the edges, like you file a diamond or whatever, you know. These are diamonds in the rough, and we can work on them, and we can bring them to the more correct word, let's call it that way, in the King James Bible, in the way of their learning. But they have already understanding, they have already picked up a Bible, and that's that's the one that we should uh, we should exalt, like you said, and we should not be dogmatic about the King James Bible. I am dogmatic, and don't understand me wrong now, listener. I am dogmatic about me using the King James Bible. You will never hear me saying anything else and using for me, but I do not impose that on you. If you say, I believe, I, I, I take another Bible, it's okay. I can point you to the mistakes the other Bible then has. And when you see the mistakes for yourself, you probably will come to the King James only uh, camp too. If not, so be it. To me, the King James is the only right Bible. But it is already a big step forward when anybody picks up any Bible anyway, just because they are hungering for the Word of God. Amen. So I guess we are continuing now. The shot heard around the world. That was the part where I left off on my last reading some weeks ago. So we're going to continue now. The shot heard around the world. This 100-year war of words started back when the supporters of the Oxford movement, who were apostates, Catholics, infiltrated the um, Anglican Church in England, realized that they must discredit the reformers and fundamental theologians in order to support their Roman Catholic Greek text in place of the received text. Their salvo was returned by men like Bergen, Wilson, Scrivener, Morrow, Hoske, Cook, Salmon, Beckett, Mellon, and Wilkinson, and continues today with many of our modern-day scholars. Blind rage, the next paragraph is called. On both sides of the issue, men are called fanatic, heretic, cultist, Bible rejecter, demon-possessed, and more. These two sides have fought until the facts about which they fight are obscured by the dust of the battle. They call each other names until the student of scripture finds reputable men on both sides of the controversy damaging their potential influence by using some adjectives which, indeed, are very descriptive but totally unnecessary. I am not a soft city gentleman who thinks we should all sit around and talk in quiet tones while sipping tea and eating brunch. I am a militant Bible believer who hates the devil, who hates sin. I am a Bible believer who hates heresy and apostasy. Yet I think it is time that we who claim to be fundamentalists 
step back and look to see who our enemy really is. And this is a little bit about what we are talking right before I started to read this, isn't it? Right. We are fundamentalists and we have to see and we have to address and we have to identify for our brethren the real enemy. And the real enemy is not my brother in Christ who has another Bible and found his way to Christ. The real enemy still is Satan, is the Roman Catholic Church. That's correct. The true enemy. The subtle Roman Catholic Church has assumed the position of the lad who told uh, two of his enemies, quote, you and he fight. I'll hold the coats. After all, is that divide and conquer one of the oldest military strategies known to men? The fundamentalists have laid their coats at the feet of the Holy Mother Church and for the past 100 years proceeded to knock each other's block off. Is it any wonder that the Pope smiles so much? <laughs> Who is our enemy? Let's find him and fight him. Today it seems on both sides that we are concerned more with finding fault with the people that we disagree with rather than what they teach. Let me make this statement. If what I believe about the King James Bible can be disproved, I will gladly trade it in for the right Bible. We have an enemy. And I believe we should be verbal and active against that enemy. But I feel it is time that we realize that our enemy is not our brother. It is the one holding his coat. The part of the Roman Catholic Church in the affair is similar to that of a soldier leaping into the foxhole of the enemy, only to find that all of the enemy soldiers have strangled each other. Occasionally, on the other side, we will be forced to face a trailer. But instead of writing him off, we will have to be charitable and look past his railing to see what his facts say. If we can disprove his facts, we need not worry about his mouth. Quote, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Unquote. Galatians 4, verse 16. I was looking that up yesterday also with my German woman that I had that fellowship with. Because this is the point that we are so often faced with when we are out there in the world. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Yes. The answer in a lot of cases is yes. And do you know why? Because the truth hurts. Because a lot of people have to forsake everything they have learned all their life when faced with the truth for the first time. It hurts to get confronted with the truth you have never experienced in your life before. And all of a sudden you realize that you have been living a lie. You have been living a lie for 50 years. You have been living a lie for 40 years. You have been living a lie for 60 years. You have been living a lie for 10 years. You have been living a lie 
all of a sudden you are made aware of that, that hurts. Because you think you have so much to lose and you don't understand that you don't lose anything, but you gain everything. Excellent, uh, excellent insight and discernment there. And, uh, Yerk, it's really important for us and the listeners to understand that uh, the world is a great deception. It's, it's nothing for, but deception. And it's it's only when we're brought to that point where we fall to our knees and we cry out to our Savior, Jesus, save me. And, uh, you know, talking about this, uh, this deception, the author here is touching on the, the Roman Catholic Church's tactics and how that's essentially what they do. They rule by divide and conquer. That's, that's always been their strategy. And, um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to, uh, to read just one paragraph out of the Jesuit oath that speaks to uh, what this author here is identifying with the Roman Catholic Church. Please. And uh, so I've got that uh, brought up here. It says, this is, this is from the Jesuit Oath, and you can find that, ladies and gentlemen, by just typing in any search engine, the Jesuit uh, Extreme Oath of Induction, and uh, it will bring up uh, a number of links there. You can choose uh, any of those, but there is a full oath, and this has been uh, authenticated by uh, an ex-Jesuit priest by the name of Alberto Rivera. But anyway, this is about the, it looks like about the fourth paragraph of this oath, and it says, You have been taught to insidiously plant the seeds of jealousy and hatred between communities, provinces, states that were at peace, and incite them to deeds of blood, involving them in war with each other, and to create revolutions and civil wars in countries that were independent and prosperous, cultivating the arts and the sciences and enjoying the blessings of peace. To take sides with the combatants and to act secretly with your brother Jesuit, who might be engaged on the other side, but openly opposed to that with which you might be connected. Only that, now listen to this, only that the church might be the gainer in the end, in the conditions fixed in the treaties for peace, and that the end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. That is the motto of the Roman Catholic Church and of the Jesuits from the beginning. If the end is desirable and positive in their eyes, every means of action to reach to that point, to reach that goal, are all right. They can include murder, deceit, treason. All these things are allowed if the end 
is desirable and the church will be the gainer in the end. And when you understand that the church is the synagogue of Satan, you know that they will use every vile action they have at their disposal to reach their goals. Correct. And it also, we can identify that same satanic mentality in, by the person that was considered the most evil person of the, uh, I believe it was the 19th century. And that was a, a person by the name of uh, Aleister Crowley. Aleister Crowley, yeah. Crowley. Uh, 20th, 20th century. Uh, okay, 20th century, right. Okay, I, I, I wasn't sure which one it was, right. Okay, so yeah, more recently, 20th century, and what was his, uh, what was his motto or or? Uh, well, he wrote he wrote the book of law, the book of the law, and he said, "Do as thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law." Right, and that is just a that is just a, a almost a perfect mirroring of the Jesuit oath and that statement: "The end justifies the means. Do what thou wilt." They are of one mind, Keith. Aleister Crowley was one of the greatest Satanists of the 20th century. His picture is on the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Not for coincidence. He was demon-led, like all the people in the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church, especially in the Jesuits. They are all demon-possessed and demon-led, like, like we have the Holy Spirit that leads us to the work that we do here, they have their spirits of fallen angels possessing them, leading them to do the work they are doing. It is a spiritual battle from the beginning. It is a war that started in heaven and that is now being transferred here to the earth. And doesn't the Bible say at one point, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers and wickedness in high places. That's what we are faced with. That's what we are faced with daily. Caught in the flesh and battle spiritually. Listen, Keith, we've done the broadcast today an hour and a half, and I would bring down to the last conclusion that you can make your last statement before I can close it up. Is there anything that you want to say before we sign off today? Well, I think it's an excellent uh, time to, to end the broadcast today and uh, just making that point uh, that essentially it is the Roman Catholic Church and uh, it basically is the manifestation of Satan on this earth, and they are the ones, or he is the one, the man of sin, the papacy, uh, is is the one that um, it is leading the charge of the global deception, and uh, it, and even as this author uh, is identifying here, the attack against the truth, and uh, for us to realize that uh, the King J the King James version is superior uh, to the other versions of, of the scriptures. Okay, Keith, thank you very much for your contribution to the broadcast. It was very nice.
having you on and doing this together with you. I'm looking forward to next time when we're going to have an appointment and people who will listen to this, I will ask just to keep an eye on the website on the talk show on Hour of the Truth. I will put the link in the video here that you can see the new link where you can then see the new broadcast announced. And at this moment, I just want to end with one last little uh, quote that I want to read to you and then bring this show to an end for today. The quote is, for those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. With this, I thank you very much for listening live to our broadcast or listening later on and watching the video I make of it. And until next time, God bless you all. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.